This month we are looking at some big questions as we work together to prepare ourselves for the lock-in that we're going to have in March. We're asking these big questions that are often stumbling blocks for our friends and family members um, being followers of Jesus. So we want to work together to come up with answers and stories that we can share to show them that belief in God in, and who Jesus Christ actually is, is not illogical or irrational, and it does, in fact, fit with reality if we're paying attention. So, let's jump into our conversation. The first question we're going to look at is, if God is so good, why do bad things happen, right? It's the classic problem of evil. Why do things not turn out? Why is there pain? Why does life hurt? It's a fair question, right? We first of all should never make anyone feel bad for asking this question. If we're honest, we've asked this question too. If we're honest, we still keep asking this question even if we know who God is and we know deep down in our hearts and we trust and love and believe in Jesus and we live for him, this question still is part of our lives and it's okay to talk to God about it, right? So first off, we need to uh, destigmatize it and say it is okay to ask this question because it absolutely is, right? And I think in, in thinking through it and understanding it, many Christians throughout the ages have found an even deeper trust and understanding of God's love for them by actually plumbing the depths of this answer, going and digging down as deep as this uh, question takes us. So, Right? I mean, if God's all-powerful and all-loving, then why does he allow people to suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people, as we say, right, is a lot of it, right? That's a really hard question to ask, and we ask a lot of questions to think about, right? Um, but the idea is all of us know that evil does exist, right? We don't have to prove to people that evil exists. We know that there's something broken in our world. Everybody has had something happen to them that they didn't want to happen. Everybody's probably experienced loss at some point, right? Like a family member or a pet or something has, has passed on and is no longer with you and you wish it was, right? The, um, people make difficult choices um, and some, some other people's actions negatively influence our lives. And we're like, but why? Why is that allowed to happen? God, couldn't you just stop it? Um, so the way we're looking at these questions and kind of going through them this month is we're trying to answer three questions under the big question. So the first question is, um, what is the truth claim that we are espousing? Or what are we saying is true about God or humanity or the world we live in when we as Christians are answering this question, right? And I think it's kind of in the question, right? We're saying that, first of all, God is good and that God gave us free will, we believe, right? That he gives us a choice. And because he gives us a choice, um, bad things can happen. But also that him giving us that choice is actually the most loving thing he could do as opposed to all of the other options. So um, let's jump in and look at a Bible verse, Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45. This is Jesus talking on the Sermon on the Mountain. He says, But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and unjust alike. Jesus is saying here that God doesn't create a separate playing field for people who love him and don't love him. He gives everything that is required for life and making good choices and living for him to absolutely everyone, right? 
I think that's a really key thing to see here because a lot of times people are like, well, God picks and chooses. That's kind of part of the, the, the thing that we're mad about when bad things happen. We're like, well, why does this happen to me? Why does this happen to me? Do I, I don't deserve this, right? Or we see a friend who's hurting. We're like, they don't deserve that. And it's true. Those, those statements are true. But God's not necessarily doing those things, right? Jesus here is saying God set these laws of physics and morality and he gave them to us and we have to work with them, right? If we try and work against them, things will be broken and messed up. Jesus is just laying it out there. He, God doesn't choose favorites. He's not mad at you because something bad happened to you. God gives you every good thing that you need for life, right? And he does the same for everyone else, right? But So how do other worldviews look at this problem? Like how do they answer this question, right? Some of them say, well, it's, there's no, no God, but there is some sort of moral law, right? But it's just karma. So if you do good things, good things will happen. If you do bad things, bad things will happen. But that's a really flawed, flawed thing. I don't want to go on a big rant on that, right? But um, that, there's a lot of, I think, evidence in how life plays out that that just may not be the truth. So we won't even get into it, but that's one of the ways people deal with it, right? That's just the, the universe gives you back good if you do good, right? But we all know that's not true. We know people who are saintly, amazing people who give their lives to serve other people and they still get cancer and die, right? Like, and then, you know, you have to believe in reincarnation that something will be better. Um, and I don't know that that's a great truth because then even in the next life, you will still suffer so I don't know what kind of blessing that is. <laughs> um, the next thing, um, I mean, if there is no moral law, then there's no good, no evil, no justice. Every creature and person is just dancing to their own DNA, right? So when people say that, when they're naturalists and they say there's nothing but this world that we see and absolutely nothing else, that's really kind of what you're proposing because there's no set moral law. There's nothing that's good or bad. There's things that we could say that will help our species live on or, you know, we have to work together to be good. But like, as far as like interpersonal things where we're like nicer, you know, you get in fights with friends and things happen that you wish wouldn't happen and they hurt and they feel bad, but they're not necessarily like evil things. Right. But there is a moral law that's underneath things. Um, and being a naturalist doesn't necessarily account for all of that. Right. Um, but people can act outrage by the evil God allows or how religious people have perpetrated evils because the church has messed up a lot, right? They're, we don't have to defend all of Christian history. They've People who say they love Jesus did bad things, but maybe they didn't necessarily love Jesus. A lot of them were just following a political power or some people got caught up in some stuff. And guess what? We are all humans and we all do still mess up and make mistakes and hurt people, even though that is not our desire, right? But that's the same for every other person on the planet too, regardless of what their belief system is. You're going to mess up and accidentally hurt someone. Um, it, it, it happens, right? It comes out of our own selfishness, all of that. But how can you say something that doesn't exist to prove that something else doesn't exist, right? If you say there's no evil, right? Or then there can be no God. Or you say there's no God because there is evil, right? But how can evil exist if there is no God? That is kind of the thing. How can evil exist if there is no God? Think about that question, right? So the next thing we looked at is why is this claim we are making true, right? So we ask ourselves, okay, is God loving? Does he allow for free will? Like how can we show that God is still loving even though evil, bad 
things happen. And we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 2. And this is Solomon writing and all of his wisdom of his old age. And he's looking back and this is really a depressing passage. But it shows us where people are if they don't have the hope of Jesus. If we live just for ourselves, this shows us where it ends up. This guy over almost 3,000 years ago was writing this. Like he's close to 3,000 years old. Like that's nuts. This guy wrote this and it still is as true today as it was when he wrote it. He says, The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. It seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. Already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There is nothing ahead but death anyway. There is only hope for the living. That's crazy, right? But he's saying, if all you have is your own mad course, if everything that you have is twisted, it's not what God intended. If you're not living and seeing the way God created the world and what he created you for and he created other people for and he created this world for, then you're going to twist it. And because of that, you will choose your own mad course and you will have no hope. I can't think of anything that better describes what it is like to live without Jesus. It is a place without hope, right? When, when people are filled with anxiety and trepidation and they feel like there is no point to anything, that is an outcome of believing that there is no God, right? And then evil things come from the people being in that place. God doesn't cause those evil things. People who find themselves in that headspace are often the people who perpetrate the most evil of things. But another reason that we can think that this claim we were making is true is um, we talk about how we can grow because of difficult things. Again, not that God chooses to create those difficult things or make us have them. Some people have this false notion that God tests us to, to see if we're good enough. But that actually comes from a Bible verse that Jesus' brother wrote, James, and he talks about how when we are tested, we should be thankful because it is like a refining fire. It melts away all of the stuff that doesn't matter, and it focuses us on what is important. If you've ever gone through a difficult time, you know what that's like. You're not focused on all these weird, like, fancy peripheral things that don't matter. You are focused on the things that matter the most, right? And you come out of those things a different person. You're refined, as it says. So it's not that God causes them, but he can use them to focus us on what is true and good um, and knowing him and knowing how relationships with other people are important. Um, so that's one of the ways. Also, one of the things that I think proves that God uh, exists is, like we talked about earlier, um, evil cannot exist if there is no good. If we have no uh, way to measure what is good, we cannot say that something is evil. Um, that's something that St. Augustine kind of talked about. And uh, then later, um, people uh, came and said, the shadow proves the sunshine, right? C.S. Lewis wrote that. He says, the, the shadow proves the sunshine. That without sun, you cannot see a shadow. If there's no light, you can't see the darkness. If there is no objective good, you cannot call something evil. It just doesn't work. 
And I think that's an incredibly compelling argument. The last big truth that we can have, thing that we can point to, a proof that proves our claim, is that God feels pain, right? Just the fact that he came down as Jesus and lived as a human being is a huge part of the story. We don't want to miss that. He grew up. He probably had people pick on him, right? He had he, he went through all of the things we do. He was hungry. He lived in a backwater town that was not important, that was constantly raided, and, and um, it was not a safe or great place to be, right? We see Jesus being hungry when he goes into the desert to be tempted. We see him weeping when his friend Lazarus dies because he's sad that that happened, right? We see him being full of agony when he is praying before he goes to the cross because he is in this incredibly difficult space. And he prays to God that God would help him out of it, right? What is more human than that? That God felt that very same thing that we hate feeling the most in the world. Jesus went through that too. And he was beaten and he was crucified unjustly. He knows exactly and intimately what pain and evil feel like. So why the third question we ask is, why does any of this matter? Why does any of this matter to our friends? How does it impact our lives? How does it change the way we view ourselves or the world around us? Right? How does this guide us? It, it guides us in saying, God doesn't create evil, but God can redeem evil and that we can be people who choose to show love and put his kingdom here on earth. The way we act and treat people can make God's kingdom more present. And we can strive to not do those things that are harmful, those things that are selfish and cause problems for other people. But we always look out for the interest of others, putting them ahead of ourselves. That's in Philippians, right? Um, when we say we bring God's kingdom here, right? It's not some like, pie in the sky hope, like, okay, we wait until we're dead, and then everything will be better because we'll be in heaven, right? No, it happens now, guys. We do this stuff at our church, right? When we make backpacks for the elementary school kids so they can have food to eat on the weekends, like, there is an evil, there is suffering, there is an injustice happening, and we are doing something to right that by making sure that these kids have food to eat, right? That's just a tiny thing. If you have a friend who is dealing with something and you hang out with them, just showing them that they're not alone, that is you bringing God's kingdom, right? All of these small ways and all of these really large things that we can do to try and solve and ease people's suffering and show them God's love is how God's kingdom is here now, right? So evil doesn't always win. Um, so, um, as we said, God doesn't cause evil. He doesn't want it to happen, right? God isn't causing it. Sometimes human beings are, right? We're the rebels. God holds all things together and, res and is responsible for the fact of freedom. We are free creatures, but we're also responsible for our acts of freedom and what they bring, right? There are natural repercussions to things. I like to call them natural consequences. Sometimes when no one's doing something crazy, and I've told him a billion times, I'm like, well, natural consequences. He's going to figure it out. As long as he's not going to hurt himself too bad, sometimes I just have to let him do it because he doesn't get it. All right? Um, so, as we end, 
If we're asking God to stop all evil, what does that look like? What kind of world would that be if God stopped all evil? Some of you guys had some really amazing answers last night, and it was that, first of all, we wouldn't have to work together to fix anything because nothing would be broken, right? And we would assume that no one would ever make a mistake in a relationship, that no one would ever hurt anything. We wouldn't have to work together to do anything. There would be less community, and the world would be incredibly lonely if there was nothing to work on together. Not that God causes bad things to happen for us to work together, but again, it's, it's an outcome of something that happens because evil is present. Um, also, we talked about that it would be a place where we wouldn't have actual freedom. We wouldn't be autonomous. We would have to be somehow controlled or restricted from doing things. And I don't think anyone wants to live in a world where they're controlled like that. People fight wars over it, right? Um, it's the great rally cry of America, freedom, right? Like we do not like having other people tell us what to do. And God lovingly says, I'm going to give you these parameters because these things are true and you need to know them, but you can choose to act outside of them. I think that is incredibly loving of him, knowing that the cost is evil existing, of people suffering, of people being in pain. But the opposite of that is so detestable to him, so unloving that he cannot choose to do it. He could, but again, that's not very loving and not a place that he wants us to live into. Right. So God's solution isn't to do away with what is good, these good things that we twist in, in the world and we strive after and we, we want, and that's why most people do evil, bad things, because we just take something and we place it on a pedestal, we make it a God, and we want that more than anything else, and it doesn't matter who we have to hurt to get it. That's where a lot of human evil comes from, right? God doesn't take those things away, right? Um, he wants to heal the brokenness. Jesus came to heal our brokenness. Evil can exist unless God exists, and we acutely all know that evil exists. C.S. Lewis is a great uh, Christian writer, and he wasn't always a Christian. He, in fact, hated God because he lost his wife. And because he was experiencing this pain and grief, he asked the question, shaking his you know, hand at God, why would you do this to me? Why do I deserve this? There can't be a God if suffering like this exists, if there's pain, if there's evil. It just, there, he just cannot be real. And if he is, I don't want to serve him because he doesn't love me. That's where a lot of people are, right? But he actually had a friend the guy who, who was older than him, but a guy who worked alongside him at the university he taught. And it was J.R.R. Tolkien, the guy who wrote The Lord of the Rings, who was much older than C.S. Lewis, but still. He spoke truth into C.S. Lewis in this time and talked to him about this loss and this grief. He, he told him these truths about God and walked alongside him. And C.S. Lewis ends up writing this later. He says, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But then, how had I gotten this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a crooked line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? He had this epiphany. The shadow proves the sunshine, right? There is no way we can say something is unjust if justice doesn't exist. There's no way we can call something good, bad if goodness does not exist. There's no way we can call something evil 
if love is not real. When we think God does indeed embody all of these things. We all have experienced pain and loss, but God has not caused it. It hurts because we know instinctively that things are not as they intended. Heaven is written on the heart of every person. That's one of my favorite things in Ecclesiastes. It comes after the uh, the whole list of there's a time for blah, 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 blah. Right? Like there's a list, the time for everything. But it says, God has written eternity on the human heart. That is proof. When we feel pain and sorrow and sadness because something is wrong, because something unjust has happened, because something evil has happened, it is us knowing acutely that God did not intend for things to be like that. Eternity is written on our hearts, and we know what God's heart is. That's where that pain comes from. That's where our understanding of suffering, of evil, is. Because we know in our hearts instinctively that there is something better, that there is something good, that that's not how it's intended. Right? Evil is not God's creation. It is a distortion and twisting of the good God created. Because part of that good is freedom. Freedom to choose. Freedom to love him or reject him. We'll end with this. First Peter Chapter 2, verses 24. It's talking about Jesus. He personally carried our sins on his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Because God himself came down and suffered personally for each and every one of us. We can truly know that sin is defeated and we can be those people who live for God's kingdom instead of for ourselves. And we can greatly diminish the hurt and pain and suffering in the world if we show that love to everyone and that is our focus and not our own desires. All right, so keep thinking on that question and think of any stories that you want to share so we can share those with our friends and they might know that there is hope and that God does indeed care about us and he does indeed love us. Love you guys. Have an awesome week.